Amen. What a blessing. My favorite female singer. My favorite female. And uh, my wife of almost 37 years. God's been good to us. Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, I pause to pray in great hunger this morning. A hunger for us here in our church and for our nation for us to hunger for you. And I understand this is just a 30-minute sermon, but I also understand it could be a spark of revival that's needed in a life, maybe a marriage, maybe a family, and perhaps a nation. And I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Please fill me again and use me to accomplish your will. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It is election year, as you know. We have several uh, patriotic themes throughout the year. Our youth conference, summer camp, our fall conference. And this morning I would like to announce my campaign. And I'd like to announce, and I'm serious. I'd like to announce my campaign for revival because more than an individual, we need God. I pray that today's message will give us not just a hunger, but will give us some practical things that will help us understand how we go about seeing revival in our lives and in our land. I begin this morning with a story from the history of Israel recorded in the book of Joel. It is a small book. And yet the story that we find here is so very wonderful. It's profound. In fact, we find its instruction not just here. We find it throughout the word of God even into the New Testament and throughout that beginning period of the church age and the church age that we live in now. Had there been a newspaper in the days of Joel, the headlines, the breaking news probably would have read something like this. Locusts invade the land. Nation faces severe economic crisis. The nation is in trouble. They are under attack. They've experienced because of the invasion of the locust and other insects they have experienced a drought. They have experienced economic downfall. And these tragedies have left the land hurting and demoralized. Think about this, please. The prophet Joel uses what's going on in the land to get the people's attention spiritually. Joel uses the drought Joel uses the invasion of the people to get the attention of the people spiritually. We ought to do that today. We ought to look at what's going on in our land and that ought to not only get our attention in regards to the issues going on in our land, it ought to get our attention spiritually and our behavior in the sight of and in our relationship with God. 
We're living in a nation today that is facing some very fearful behaviors from crime and corruption in our cities to our borders being open and being invaded by multiplied millions of people, many of them not coming for work, many of them coming to hurt our nation. Are you with me this morning? If Joel used what was going on as far as the land was concerned and as far as the economy was concerned, if he used what was going on in that day, should we not use then the same things going on in our day to check our spiritual condition and our spiritual behavior before God? Three things I want to give you from this passage of Scripture. I want you to notice, first of all, the difficulties that Israel faced. There are four words that I would use to describe their condition. They faced devastation, they faced destruction, they faced desolation, and they faced discipline. Let me say a word about each of those. First of all, uh, they were facing a devastation. Go to chapter 1, if you will, in this little book of Joel, and let's look at verse number 4. Look at verse number 4. The Bible says this, That which the palmer worm hath left behind, the locust hath the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left behind, the canker worm hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath hath left hath the caterpillar eaten. It was a time of devastation. It was a time when one thing after another was increasing the condition they were in. You understand that we are getting further and further into debt as a nation, uh, some 30 plus trillion dollars in debt beyond our comprehension, uh, beyond our understanding. And if he looked at the devastation of what the worms and the locusts were doing, should not we look at the things that's causing such a tremendous debt and burden for our children and our grandchildren to come? They faced further destruction, and you find it right here in the Scripture. Uh, Verse number 5, the Bible says, Awake, ye drunkards, and weep, howl, all ye drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it is cut off from your mouth, for a nation is uh, is come upon my land. A nation is come upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath the cheek teeth of a great lion. And he goes on to talk about the destruction that is taking place in the land of other nations that hated them. He talked about desolation in verses 8 through 13, and then again in verses 16 through 20, because of those uh, uh, caterpillar and locust and canker worms, uh, they had brought about uh, uh, famine and they had brought about uh, drought in the land. Uh, There was then no rain and the crops failed in verses 10 through 12 and verse number uh, 17. And he even addressed the fact of their cattle. He said their herds 
suffered and died because there was no water. And then he said fires broke out in the forest because of the dryness in verses 19 and 20. And is it interesting to you that the Bible speaks of these things and then of all of the stories of history and all the events that have taken place? He chooses to preserve this story in the Bible for you and I today, not outdated, not antiquated, but preserved for us to learn from today. If they paid attention to those things, should we not pay attention to the things that are going on around us? And should not it cause us to think spiritually, is there a connection here? Is our behavior causing God to allow, or even worse, is God sending this to our nation? Look at verses 14 and 15. The Bible says this in chapter 1. Sanctify ye a fast. Call a a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry unto the Lord. And I want you to notice the phrase, alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. That phrase is found several times in these few short chapters and it refers to a time of judgment and it says, and as a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. We would like to look at Congress and say they are to blame for the condition our nation is in. Uh, We maybe would like uh, to look at those uh, riotous groups uh, uh, that disturb the peace and disturb uh, our lives by their marching in the streets and their demands for things that are beyond reason. Perhaps we would like to look at that uh, group or those groups and say those are the uh, people that are causing the problems that we face in our nation. But that's not what Joel said. Joel said you and I as God's people need to pay attention because God's allowing this to happen as a judgment because of our behavior spiritually. You see, until we take serious the problem in our nation and take it not only serious but take it personal, we're never going to make a difference. Maybe it's other churches this sermon should be preached in. Maybe it's other groups or other denominations or other gatherings that this sermon should be preached in. And if that is our fault, never will we come uh, to a help from God. At some point in time, we have to come to the place to say, Lord, it's me that hungers to be right before you. I want you to bless our land. I don't want you to judge our land because of my lack of spiritual behavior. The people had turned against God and he talked about the day of the Lord. Chapter 1 verse 15, chapter 2 verse number uh, 1, chapter 2 verse number 11, chapter 2 verse number 31, chapter 3 verse number 14. All you say preacher, that's, uh, this is just a preacher that know what he's talking about and he just preaches a sermon and uh, tries to make everybody feel guilty. I don't, I don't think so. I think God put this here as an example to say to us, if your land is in trouble as he did through Solomon and that then when we come to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and as he did throughout the word of God and he says for God's men to go to God's people and say look it's us that must be right with God and we must lead in a campaign for revival or there is no hope for our country. 
you understand that we have elected Democrats and then Republicans and then Republicans and then Democrats and pro uh, Democrats and then Republicans and our problem continues and our uh, situation continues to go down. Perhaps there's another direction we ought to learn, uh, look. Uh, perhaps we ought to look inward at our spiritual condition and we ought to look above the thrones of man and realize that there is a God in heaven that's in control. So we see the condition, we see what they face. Second of all, I want you to notice, and I love this, the decision of the prophet. The prophet does not give up on the nation. He doesn't say, well, it's too late, there's nothing can be done. But he makes a plea to them that they would turn back the judgment of God on them by their spiritual behavior. And I want to say today, I don't want to just live and say, well, I'll just get what's coming to me and make it the best way I can, and I've got most of my life lived. No, sir, we've got children and grandchildren coming behind us. It's worth our fight. Now, I'm not talking about a political fight. I'm talking about a spiritual one where we understand that we have some responsibility in this matter of the condition of our land. The first thing he does, he pleads with them to repent of their sins. Look at chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14, and may I say, genuine repentance of sin and wrong is in every recipe for revival. Repentance of sin is in every recipe for revival. There can be no revival outside of God's people recognizing their own condition before God, their own sin before God, and repenting and ask God to make them clean. Are you with me this morning? Look at verse number 12. The Bible says in chapter 2, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart. And then he adds to that, and with fasting. Now what does that mean? That means I hunger for God's answer more than I hunger for physical food. He said, don't just turn to me in a quick little three-minute song and go back to your ways. Turn to me with such a hunger for me that fasting is added to that, that you're waiting for my answer and that's more important to you than your next meal. And I'm going to tell you if our prayers for our nation, if our prayers for revival does not include not only prayer but Fasting, uh, friend, we have not met the requirement for what the Word of God says from beginning to end. You say, preacher, that's Old Testament. You're right. And that is in the Bible. The Old Testament is the Bible. In fact, the Lord Jesus himself taught this concept and principle and behavior of fasting when the disciples could not accomplish in their prayers what they attempted to do in praying for a boy that needed to be healed. And they, they, they brought the boy to the Lord Jesus and they said, we can't help him. And Jesus made the statement, this forth cometh but by prayer and fasting. And so the Bible says here, do you see it, church? Do you see this morning? It's not just prayer. It's with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Weeping is the shedding of tears. Mourning is for that 
for that shedding of tears to continue, not to be a one-time thing, but to have a heart that's broken for the spiritual condition. And when we are more concerned about the economics, uh, the economy of our nation, than we are the spiritual condition, we've not yet come to the place that we can get God's attention. For our concern must not just be for the cattle of the land, but the spiritual condition of the land. Look at verse 13. And rend your heart and not your garments. What does that mean? Well, in the days of the Old Testament, when someone had proclaimed a prayer and fast, they would put on sackcloth or black clothes and ashes, and they would wore rent or they would rend their garments. They weren't dressed up. They were dressed down. They were in a time of humility but he said some have come to the place they know the behavior of repentance and are expressing it on the outside. But he said, I'm not talking about an outward expression of repentance. I'm talking about an inward, uh, 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 an inward expression that rends the heart on the inside and not just the garment on the outside. And then he says, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger. We know that's true. And of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil, who knoweth if he will return and repent. I'm thankful for the decision. I'm thankful for the decision of the prophet to proclaim the need for the land is a spiritual awakening. He pleads for revival and he pleads for a restoration in verses 15, 16, and 17. And this is the very key. This is the very instructions that we find. And I'll close with this uh, in a few minutes. But God calls on the people from the oldest to the youngest to come back to him. He calls for those occupied by the consuming matters of life to put him back first in their life. Not just a part of their life, but to put him first in their life. He calls on the preachers, the prophets, the spiritual leaders of the people to be close to him and to come close to him. God wants his people to seek his face once more. He wants them to get hungry for him again. God calls his people back to a place of closeness and he calls them to holiness in their life. And that's what happens in the book of Joel and that is the need for today, February 11, 2024. More than conservatism, we need a restoration. And then God gives a promise. The result of what Joel says is a promise. And the Lord promises not only to deliver them from the invasion, he not only promises to prosper them again, he goes so far as to say, I will restore to you what you have lost. Only God can do that. You see, God's a multiplier. Satan is a devourer. Sin is a devourer. Sin is a destroyer. God is a multiplier. God said not only 
will I give to you uh, a, 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 a protection again. I'll give to you a prosperity again. I will give to you back what you have lost in these recent years. Only God can do that and somehow in our nation we have to understand that the need of our land is not just to end a conservative leader but it's God's people understanding that me being right before God is what matters and makes the difference. Here's how God describes it. He said, I'll give you back the former and latter rains. Look at it in verse number 23. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, who hath given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former rain, and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you, notice this, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army, notice these words, which I sent among you. If we could understand today, it's not the naming of an army or a people that hate us, but it is God that let that army devour us because of our sin. We could say, I'll tell you the problem, the problem is communism. The problem is, is uh, terrorist. That's the problem. The problem is those that are taught to hate America and democracy and hate our God. Oh, no. The problem is our iniquity that causes God to turn the enemy loose on us. And the only way to stop that is not to name and blame the enemy, but if I am right with God, God can protect me from the enemy. Do you see it? The children of Israel, when they left the land of Egypt and they had start, started their journey toward the land of Canaan, they faced the great Red Sea and they could not go across it and the enemy was behind them. But because they were in pursuit of the will of God, God put a pillar of cloud. He put a separation and he protected them from the army that would kill them. And then God parted the waters. They went across on dry land. God then put the waters back and he drowned the enemy. That's what God does for a people that seek his face and that are faithful to love him and to serve him and worship him with their life. You coming to church today is more than just fulfilling some type of, a, uh, of an obligation to your conscience or uh, to fulfill a, a promise to a friend that you said you would come to church. You being in church today gets the attention of Almighty God. And I challenge you, study the Word of God and see if the children of Israel missing their worship of God on the Sabbath day is not what God caused to release the enemy on them. The former rains fell in October and November. And those helped replenish the soil in preparation for the next planting season. 
The latter rains fell in March and April and they came to ensure that the harvest would be bountiful. And God also promised to replace all that had been lost. What a wonderful God if we would simply obey and do what God tells us to do. You say, preacher, is it possible that we could see a spiritual awakening in America? Well, would it not be foolish? Would it not be a foolish thing to not try would it not be foolish to just say, I give up? By the way, there are folks that are teaching and preaching eschatology, and the only thing they're looking forward to is a rapture. And I want to tell you something. I look forward to the rapture of the saints. I look forward to the rapture of the church and the ending of what we know in our days. Oh, but if God tarries his coming, and by the way, God never told them to give up and wait for his return. He said, I want you to occupy until I come. I want you to occupy until I come. What are the things that we need to do? We find this throughout the scripture, but Joel states it plainly. Let me state these and point them out in the verses. As I begin my campaign for revival, I'll preach this message across America as I, as I preach every week from now up throughout the year. I want you to see these things. First of all, we must pray. That's very evident. That's very plain. I want you to look at chapter 2 and verse number 12. To have revival, the campaign for revival begins with prayer. Verse number 12, therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart and with fasting and with weeping and with mourning and rend your heart and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. Number one, we must pray. Now I want to ask you to pray. I want, you to, I want to ask you to pray for our spiritual revival in our own heart. Not just on Sunday. I want to ask you to set aside, uh, uh, set aside a time that you would pray. You say, preacher, what would be a good pattern to follow? Well, the psalmist said, evening, morning, and at noon will I cry aloud. I think it would be a good thing every morning, uh, sometime uh, between 6 and 9 a.m., that you call out to God and say, God, I want to be clean before you, and I come before you in prayer. I think there ought to be a time around lunchtime at noon that we pray the same thing. I think it would be a good time between 6 and 9 in the evening that we would come to God in prayer saying, Lord, I want to obey what you say in the Scripture. I am finite. I am limited in who I am and my power and my ability. But I as one can do what you ask me to do. I'm coming before you in prayer. I want you to notice the second thing they did. The assembly was important. The assembly was important. Look at verse number 15. Blow the trumpet. In Zion, sanctify a fast and call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders. I believe we see a revival in America. It must come by us not being faithful to church, but getting everybody we can to come to church so that they can have a right and a good relationship with God. Church is important. I didn't start the church. The preachers before me didn't start the church. When Jesus came to this earth, not only did he come to live and die and raise again for sinful man, it was Jesus that planted the local church, Matthew 16, 18. This is the organization. This is the institution that Jesus Christ himself is founded. I've been asked by multiple organizations if I would start various programs and organizations. I was asked by a group, would you start a prayer group? And I said, already have all oh, they said didn't know that what chapter is it I said I don't know what chapter it is they said when do you do it I said Wednesday night 
He said, how many folks do you have come to your prayer meeting? I said, oh, between four and 600. Wow, that's a big prayer group. I said, it wasn't started by a political organization. It was started because of a church. We live in a day-to-day. Folks think we need to do things politically rather than spiritually. This is what God said to do. I must hasten, number three. Number three, we must involve everyone we can in the work of the church. Notice what he says here. Verse 15, assemble the elders, gather the children. He said, even bring the babies, bring the whole family. Get the whole family. Let the bridegroom grow forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests and ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, spare thy people. We need to get everybody involved in this matter of giving the gospel to others. You ought to carry the gospel in your pocket. You shouldn't just carry it in your pocket. You ought to give it to others. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. And then last of all, we need preachers. I'm not talking about just pastors. We need preachers that will proclaim the truth. I'm thankful for the young men that are in this building this morning. How many, of you, how many young men here are in Bible college preparing to serve God? Stand up real fast. I'm almost out of time. Stand up real fast. Now, now these are young men preparing for ministry, uh, preparing to serve the Lord. There's about half of them. You can be seated. And others are at the other property. There's a good number here. We need folks to stand up and be what they're supposed to be from dad and morning devotions to the pastor in the pulpit. Stand with me. I'm out of time. I read this passage to you as we're standing. Romans 13, 11, The Bible says this. And that... Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Folks, if our land is to be healed, it will be healed because God's people hunger for revival and a spiritual awakening with God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If I were running a campaign to be elected, I would ask each of you to vote for me. But I'm not running a campaign for me to be elected to anything. But I am running a campaign for revival. And I wonder if I could count on your support to say, Preacher, I'm with you. I'm with what God says. I want to commit myself to prayer, faithfulness to God's house working to reach others and get them in church and then praying for God to raise another generation of preachers to preach the word of God. I ask you, would you join the campaign for revival? Heavenly Father, as Joel of old spoke these words and he took the illustrations around him And he used it as example to preach to the people. Certainly, we must do the same 
today. And I pray that our hearts would be stirred not by the emotions of a sermon, but by the Holy Spirit power that would work through your word. Bless our invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is open this morning as he sings the invitation song. If you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, I invite you, I plead with you to trust Christ as Savior. If you've been saved but not baptized, I invite you this morning to follow him in believer's baptism. If you believe it is the will of God for you to become members of our church, invite you to come this morning if there is a spiritual decision for you to make somewhere between your seat and this altar you ought to make that spiritual decision and commitment to God I wonder this morning and I wonder how Joel felt and what Joel thought when he preached and presented the situation of the nation and the answer to overcome it. I wonder how he felt when he proclaimed that truth. I wonder if he waited and wondered who would respond. I know I certainly do. And I think he hungered for people to see the need and respond to it. What we do today may be just a beginning, but the truth is in our homes, in our lives. You can listen to the talking heads on radio hour after hour, station after station, and they will report on the palmer worm, the locust, and the canker worm. They'll report on it. When we hear that, we ought to say, the need for our nation is for me as a Christian to humble myself in the sight of God and say, God, I want to be pleasing to you in my life. If there be sin in my life, I want to confess it. I want to forsake it. But I hunger for you to do a work in our lives and in our land. Look right this way.